0: Welcome to a special broadcast of Creative On Purpose Live. I'm Scott Perry, your host, Difference Maker Coach at Akimbo Workshops, and Creative On Purpose. I'm here with a special edition of Creative On Purpose Live, craft a story that connects, and that must mean that my friend Natalia Alvarez is here, and there she, well, there she is right over there. Yes. <laughs> and Natalia and I have brought on a very special guest to talk about all things story and storytelling, and she's right down there. That's Annette Simmons author of many books, my favorite- The Story favorite,
1: Factor? The oh, Story
0: sorry. Factor. Favorite, I you the story factor. So, what we're going to do is uh, we're gonna let Natalia and then Annette introduce themselves, and then we're gonna start talking about story and, and storytelling and how you can craft a story that connects. So, Natalia, take it away. Tell everybody who you are and what you're up to these days. Uh,
2: Natalia from The Story That Matters, and I apply storytelling to communication, helping people to move forward with a narrative and a story that create trust and people can believe in and a long time admirer of the work of Annette Simmons. I'm really very happy to be talking to her today. Well,
1: well thanks. Ahead. My turn?
0: Your turn. Alrighty. Mm-hmm.
1: So so I think what I'd like to say about me is, is you know, I wrote The Story Factor back in 2000. Um, so I've been doing this for a long time my teachers were traditional folk tale um, tellers. And so that's my background. And then my business background is group process. So the first time I used story was I gathered true stories to prove that something was going on that everybody said wasn't going on. And that was territorial games. And so everybody say, oh no, that's not happening here. And and then in private, they tell me a story, and someone would just make your toenails curl, and so that made me fall in love with storytelling because we can prove stuff using
0: stories. Awesome. Well, and just in the 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 interest of full disclosure, it was Natalia who introduced me to the Story Factor. Uh, I started with the audiobook because I love an audiobook. You can purchase The Story Factor on audiobook. And guess what? Annette Simmons herself will read you, will whisper The Story Factor in your ear. And after you're done, you're going to want to do what I did, which is buy the physical copy. Because you need something that you can refer back to and mark up with your highlighter and your pen and a pencil. And it's it's a fabulous book. I want to draw some lessons from that book. Uh, as we go along, that, and I know Natalia has questions for you, too, but I thought it would be kind of fun to begin as I am wanting to do, which is let's define our terms. What the heck is a story? What is what is storytelling? Natalia.
1: My, my definition. Oh, oh,
0: oh no, was, go ahead, Annette. Okay, my That's definition
1: okay. of the story is a significant emotional experience. S-E-E, so people can see what you've seen. And so um, uh, that significant emotional experience is going to go probably to some universal human experience, and that's where we all connect. So that's my definition of a story.
2: Yeah, I, I will go for something very similar, like a certain meaningful experience um, from one person to another, and that creates a connection, basically. And I think that's very important because, Sometimes, I mean, in our Western country and culture, we define the story in a certain way, and we forget that there are many cultures that they use a storytelling in a different way. So what is meaningful from us is not maybe relevant for others. So um, well, how in a way, stories are, yeah.
1: Yeah, in a way, there was a colonization of storytelling. <laughs> yes. um, and that started with Joseph Campbell, with the best of intentions, trying to understand what's the same about all these stories. Um, What he did was he took one story that appeared a lot, and that uh, idea of a hero vanquishing a dragon, if you will, those are the main characters usually (laughs) in that kind of story, is is always a story that's from a competitive narrative instead of a collaborative narrative. And when we go back to myth... We find these really complicated stories and people complain, well, it's just so complicated. It's for a reason. It's complicated because we need story to explain complicated stuff so that we can stop oversimplifying and actually come up with solutions.
0: Yeah. I love it. Well, I would, I would define story um, along similar lines. I love that, that Natalia woven connection. And I really uh, resonate with, um, significant uh, and emotional, and I know that Natalia is very much about the emotional connection that comes through story. I think of of, of story and storytelling is just the basic human impulse uh, and and narrative device that we use for sense making and wayfinding. And uh, I think we're all kind of on the same page uh, about what storytelling is, but I'm also interested in like why do, why do we even care? What's 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 well, so important?
1: If, if, if I could add to storytelling for me is 11 evolutionary development uh, that humans had to develop in order to survive as a collective. Um, and so all these stories, their main goal is to get us on the same page or help us connect in some way. And, you know, we start teaching kids how to behave when they're kids, you know, with a story. Of course, we don't always practice that level of integrity ourselves and share when, you know, um, all the time. But but adults need those teaching stories as well in order to survive, because if we don't have these stories that make it make sense that my sacrifice in the short term is for our collective good in the in the long term, then nobody's going to make a sacrifice in the short term. And so I think that there's a survival um, aspect of the stories that have been passed down by our ancestors. They wanted to help us survive.
2: And also I think the beautiful element of a story is you can put so many things on it. And the complexity of life can go into different characters that are not linear, but they are like life. And sometimes we feel this way, you know, um, that, we love somebody, but we feel that we're really, very angry. And what to do with that? Because we just, as humans, we, we find it difficult to reconcile all these emotions. And when you hear a story of a character who goes through that and explains that and resolve that in a way or another, you feel like, oh, you know, there is transformation. There is possibility here. I am
1: not alone. That's what happens. I am not alone. It's that happened to me too and those are the yeah. that's what the stories we're looking for is it may not have specifically happened to them but if you tell a universal story about a time you were forgiven or a time when you screwed up or a time when you shined these are all universal experiences and so people will or tell a story about your mother everybody goes straight to their mother <laughs> yeah yeah
2: that's true
0: well i love that because i i, I agree that it's uh just a base, it's a defining human characteristic, our ability to craft meaning from, and, uh, and to define, one of the things I say in both of my most recent handbooks is choose your story, choose your future. Story is how we make sense of who we are, how we make sense of our situation, how we make sense of the other person. And so we're always telling ourselves stories. And I'm telling myself a story about who I am, what's going on. Natalia is, who Annette is, and what. And I'm telling myself a story about the story that I think that Annette and uh, Natalia are telling themselves about me. Exactly. There's this just complete chaos. And the beauty of of,
1: of pointing that out, Scott, is that that means that, that maybe it's not that you can't find the right story. Maybe you need to revisit the story you're telling yourself about your audience. I find that you know, fifty percent of the time, um, the the executives that I'm training for telling storytelling um, have a not very complimentary, uh, uh, you know, sort of story they're telling themselves about their audience, and so and it shows through in the story they're thinking that they should tell. And if I can get them to realize that you know these are humans too, and uh, often they'll be vulnerable which is a great demonstration of trust and um that's one of the cool things about telling a story that shares some who you are on the inside is that you're going first in that dance of trust
0: well i, I love that you brought that up because i i would like to to unpack that a little bit more on it so you've you've brought woven in vulnerability and trust and um, alluded to the importance of empathy in storytelling. And th- these are, you know, again, if we're talking about defining human characteristics of which story is a manifestation, um, what is the, you know, wh- wh- what are, what's the role of empathy, trust and vulnerability, and how can we begin to practice that um, a little bit more intentionally so that we can tell better stories that help make a bigger difference?
1: Well, without talking about in the hypothetical, I always like specific stuff. Um, and if you feel like your story is boring, then you're not telling enough truth. And so I tell the story. This actually happened to me, which is this um, uh, retired minister uh, was writing the history of, of our church. I shouldn't of a church. <laughs> and anyway, he said, you know, it's just really boring. And I said, well, then you're not telling the truth and i I step into places I don't never know what I'm stepping into and he says, "Well you mean about when I had the affair with that s m uh practicing uh female minister in the other town I went oh it's already more interesting to me <laughs> but But it was like, hmm, my. Anyway, tell this story because hopefully it'll get you to remember that you know if if your story is boring to you, it's gonna be boring to them. And there's something you're not telling. And whatever it is that you're most afraid to put in there, that's gonna be the thing that causes people to really feel connected with you because you went first, you decided to show your, your vulnerability and they will respond in kind ideally, or
0: not. What about you, Natalia? The role of yeah, vulnerability, thinking, trust, and empathy.
2: Yes, I, I always think about the word um, unmasking, unveiling, and how stories drop the veil in a way and allow the transformation and to put yourself in another place, which is not so egoistic because you allow yourself to say, well, that's my truth. And I'm able to share it with you, so what is yours? So uh, then talking about the subject that, uh, Annette, I know she's very interested now about competition and collaboration. Mm -hmm. It's not that I want to look better or I want to be better than you, is that, well, I am here in the same place as you are. So I allow you to see me. So what can we do together? And that's a totally different proposition that, take me out, you know, I'm going to make a joke. It, you no, know, it's, it's a totally different approach to communication and more generous and about connection for me.
1: Yeah, the, um, uh, when I teach who I am, so I always start people with the who I am, why I'm here story. Um, and if you tell a story about how, you know, I joined this law firm and, um I did so well, I got 50 clients and I stole them all to start my own law firm. Well, that tells me who you are, but that doesn't necessarily build trust. And so a lot of people are confusing these achievement stories mm-hmm. as stories that would build trust. And that's that's actually, there are some, but really, an I blew it story, is, is going to be more valuable in creating trust.
0: Yeah, well, and one of the things that I'm curious about is one of the assertions that I make is empathy is one of those things that we all pay a lot of lip service to. We all think that we're pretty pretty good at empathy. Like, you know, the, the ability to see, hear and understand someone else's situation, feelings, beliefs, and so forth. Uh, and... What I find is that, although I, I think that I'm great at empathy, practicing it towards other people, I find myself, I catch myself in conversation with myself uh, that reveal that I'm not very good at empathy, practicing empathy on myself. And I'm guessing that if I were to crawl into somebody else's head, I would find the same about them. What do you think the, um, what's the value and importance of, of doing the internal empathy work, vulnerability work, and trust work before you can do that with others through storytelling?
1: Well, it's, again, it's the reason I start with the Who I Am, Why I'm Here here story, because I want people to self-examine. Um, and I know from experience that 99% of the time when I ask somebody who they are and why they're here, they're not going to tell a story. I'm here to exploit everybody. Um, and so it it reorients them into their collaborative natural you know moral uh, uh, and, and one of the things that I say you know just give a story about integrity uh, because it means different things in dis- different situations. sometimes it means shutting up sometimes it means speaking up um and if and if it hasn't cost you time or money recently, are you sure you still have it? And so I, I intentionally get people um, zeroing in on what values I would want in somebody I would trust um, and, and how do I have those values. So, um, and it's not always going to be the first story they come up with when you have the templates that's, you know, a character and a choice and a beginning, middle, end, that sort of stuff. It's not always that first story. So I think coming up with the why, who I am why I'm here story first puts them in the right space, the headspace. Yeah,
2: I do agree. I, I like starting with questions such so as tell me about a meaningful moment in your life that changed something for you. And guess what? Nobody said when I have this job interview and when I make my first million, you know, people come to something which is like my first son was born Mm -hmm. or, you know, things that we could all relate to. And that sets up the tone. And sometimes if somebody is saying more something more professional orientated in the sense of the goal that is more materialistic and start listening to the others, you can feel that that person wants to add something more. And and it's amazing, and it's if always when you ask that question, people don't go for what we could possibly put into a performance chart in any right. organization.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, and so it sounds to me that like the story of who who I am and why I'm here is a lot has a lot to do with vision and values. This is these are my core beliefs, uh, ethics. This is my integrity, and then here's my intention, here's, here's where I am going?
1: A lot of the stuff that I design uh, is designed based on what I, the trouble I know people have coming up with stories, okay? So I, I, I could say vision and value comes first, but that's the hardest story to get anybody to come up with. When I start them with the who I am, why I'm here story, um, uh, usually that'll flow really, really fast. And then I talk about, OK, so there's also value in action stories. So I kind of expand out to um, ba- basically you're you're giving your role modeling by example with actually just by narrating it. So your value in action lets other people know what what your interpretation of integrity is. And um, and I know what you're thinking stories are the ones where, you know, I know they're going to hate this. So let me. Let me just say, you know, I want everybody to hold hands and sing Kumbaya. No, I'm just kidding. You know, whatever you have to do to get them over that hump. Um, And then the last one I come to is the vision. Um, But that's just me. What about you?
0: Go ahead, Natalia.
2: Yeah, I I have the same. um, I always start with uh, meaningful uh, values and... Mm -hmm. And I let them work a little bit what they come next, Uh, but these two possibly, and the why always come first. Yeah, And then let them explore a little bit what are the stories that they really want to tell. Because um, what is happening is that when you start without the stories, the energy in the room change because they are allowing themselves to see themselves differently. So they might be things that they have not been talking before and they want to talk right now or stories that might not fit exactly. So it is interesting what is happening when you just open up something and like tell me a story and everybody accept it. And nobody say, oh, this is terrible. I'm going to leave the room. You know, that's well, rubbish.
1: I'll I'll, I'll let you know that somebody's going to say, oh, this is terrible, I'm going to leave the room in their head. Oh, yeah. In most corporate situations. And what we do is we start on the other side of the room because by the time it gets to them, they're like, oh, oh, I've got a story that's really meaningful. Well, not, you know what I mean?
0: In the workshop that Natalia and I um, put together recently, we found that the the begin starting with the values point was a great way to is a great way to connect with the audience that mm-hmm. you know when we can connect around common values beliefs, um, that that's a way to bring the audience in, and and I've been thinking a little bit more about how most of my clients are what what I call difference makers. They're people that are trying to live their legacy and make a difference, uh, a bigger difference right now, as opposed to thinking about how they can leave behind money and monuments. So starting with their values, leveraging their talents, and then interacting with an audience that shares their values and needs their talents to help them solve a problem, head head into pos- a, a common possibility, that those are, um, you know, that those are the kind of things that work. But the piece that I'm really interested in is that the piece that I struggle the most with, which is, and and maybe it's just a man thing, um, not to 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 bring up gender, Annette. Um, oh no, I would <laughs> never
1: go there. But <laughs> the
0: vulnerability piece can be really really hard because as a storyteller, we want to come across as the hero, as the expert, when actually the hero is really it, it's not us, and being the expert and uh, being kind of uh, bulletproof is not really a great way to endear ourselves as storytellers with our audience.
1: Well, um, uh, I, I, I absolutely agree. The, um, the deal is that these competitive narratives where you're, 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 you know, I 10 times that 10 X, whatever thing that, go, that everybody's putting on on the front of everything. And these, these wild claims um, are clickbait, uh, and so, so people think, well, look at the numbers of clicks I got, but if you've over-promised and then once somebody comes to, to look at your article or whatever and under delivered, you're actually causing, you know, more problems. And, um, uh, I have always believed in substance. Um, i believe in building substance like this next book that I'm working on. I've worked on for, for 20 years. If it's a good enough book, I think image will take care of itself. And so, um, and I think people trying to be something they're not, aren't really doing themselves any good anyway. Um, Your best uh, asset is that you're uniquely you and nobody else can do that. So when you talk about the, Uh, meaningful moment, Natalia, I ask them to come up the qualities that they bring to the room that wouldn't be there if they weren't there Mm. and then tell a story about that quality in action. So it's the same thing, all of these things, but it's not, you know, uh, a template of, of, and this happened, but that happened, therefore all those things can fit when you go backwards, but they don't necessarily... Help you go forward.
2: I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about with an example of collaborative and competitive narratives because I know that you are writing and now and working on that and I find it very very interesting and important at this moment. Can you tell us a little bit more about it?
1: I'd love to. <laughs> this is, I'm obsessed right now. So, so all my training came from folk tellers, uh, folk tailors and, 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 and that's a particular kind of story. And then when I wrote the story factor, I'm like, you guys come, you, come use this stuff. It's a great way to connect. It's a great way to think. Um, and unfortunately what happened is that about 10 years in, the only um, tactics that were being uh, delivered for storytelling were part of a competitive narrative, which is, this is how to win and not lose. And the stories that I've learned, like Cassandra, the myth of, of Cassandra are, are stories that show that, that, not only that you had a choice, but sometimes you, you don't have a choice and how do we deal with this unresolvable paradox? Uh, and um, so the Cassandra story in a competitive narrative is just the part where um, the Trojans were under siege, the Greeks pretended like they won and they were gonna give them a, a gift, uh, the Trojan horse. Cassandra had been told that uh, uh, she had been blessed with the gift of prophecy and then cursed that nobody would believe her. So in that thing, it makes us look powerless because Cassandra uh, could predict the future and she was cursed. But if you go back further in that myth, way back, when um, um, uh, the, the gods and goddesses were having a, a party and decided not to invite Eris, the goddess of discord, what you find out is that Eris decided to crash the party anyway with a golden apple that said, for the fairest," that created a catfight between the goddesses that then was solved by, guess who, Cassandra's brother, who won in that story, the hand of Helen. And that's when the Trojan war could have been stopped. And so one of the things I love about collaborative narratives is that they're, they hold a bigger part of the story, not pretending like there's a win lose, like hmm. there's a, a soldier, you can slay a dragon, but understanding the complexity of the whole thing so that we use these stories to learn things like delayed gratification, all those things that help us survive. And the competitive narratives are undermining every day.
2: Mm -hmm. Do you think I was wondering if competitive narrative make not just linear stories, but simplistic stories in a way? Like, if you do this, you will win that. Whereas in collaborative narrative, it's it's different.
1: well, it's in, a, a, in a competitive narrative, there's a winner and a loser. In a collaborative narrative, we all win. Mm. I mean, it's it completely changes the priorities. And so, I use an example of the mycorrhizae, the network underneath the forest, uh, that fungal network, and that's a, a collaborative narrative that nature invented. Mm. And so, if you start to think about how that that a narrative reads in terms of the logic of the trees, what their priorities are. Their priorities are to, for the mother trees to send sugars out to the young trees, not to charge interest for it. Um, and there's no single tree that could possibly, you know, want to be the last tree standing. It's just not in their best interest. And so the collaborative narratives change what it is that we need to do next.
0: I was wondering about so you you brought up um, the Trojan War and then in and, uh, and Natalia was asking about or you know, talking about linear narrative, and Homer employs the, um, the 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 trick of in media res in both the Iliad and the Odyssey. He begins the narrative in the middle of the action as opposed to the once upon a time and then, and then, and then, and they all lived happy, happily ever after. What's your your read on how we can, uh, about using that device, but other devices that we can use to make our stories more engaging in a time when people's attention is a lot of well, I Well,
1: I think that's a function of making our stories more accurate is to start in the middle. Um, if you ever read the Bhagavad Gita, Jesus um, all over the place, and so uh, a lot of our myths from many of the cultures are all over the place because life is all over the place because it's it's you're balancing six different things, not just two, um, and and every win um, uh, is is not necessarily uh, going to help you survive. It could, you know, they're like the Trojan horse. You, you, you get your hubris involved in a win and you um, burn a bridge. And then next time when you need some help, they're like, you know, you're on your own, buddy. So the, the beauty of, of these nonlinear stories is that it says it's both good to win and to lose. And our job is to figure out how to balance um, when we decide, okay, me first, and when we decide everybody else first. And if we're not toggling back and forth between those two, um, then everything's left to a competitive narrative. And you end up with very few winners, uh, way too many losers. And that's the point at which the plot changes for everybody.
0: Yeah, well, we could certainly be telling ourselves some um, better stories that would promote our health and well-being uh, as a species, right about now. And, which speaks to the—I'm just wondering what you th- what you see in that in your work around. You know, your clients are hiring you because what they are doing is not working, and oftentimes, um, you know. Businesses, products, services, they're really trying to win the battle around features and and benefits as opposed to um, what really matters to their prospects and customers, which is the transformation on offer or the emotional connection.
1: To be honest, I stepped back for a couple of years because I know it'll become clear the diminishing returns on competitive narratives. It's not long. Um, and, and, and lots of people are starting to become aware now. And so I just, I felt like people needed to, to get to that, reach that conclusion on their own. <laughs> and, and they're beginning to, I'm um, get, I get more phone calls now. Um, but for a while there, I was like, Mm-mm. if, if this is what you think, I'm supposed to teach you about storytelling. I'm
0: out. So what about, um, storytelling and agenda and trying to uh to engineer um a result how how do how do we how do we help people one of the things that i remember from the story factor is talk you kind of suggest several times along the way like i assume that you are a force for good in this world i assume that your intentions are pure Um, but we have seen uh, very, very recently, and see every day, uh, people employing the the tools of storytelling, to um, you know, for nefarious and harmful.
1: The pandemic practices. was was a perfect uh, example because when you turn that into a competitive narrative, then you you pretend like one party saying we're in trouble and the other party saying we're not, and accusing each other of of, of you know. A ruse, and it guarantees that that we're not taking care of the whole. The story I use, um, you know, King Solomon. The two women are fighting over a baby, um, and King Solomon's like, "Well, we can cut it in half," and that's what they're doing right now. Is they're cutting it in half, and um, it's it's we've got to build the awareness of these collaborative narratives. So that looks as stupid as it is. I really don't know any other way other than storytelling to shift the narrative. And so this book that I spent 20 years writing was was because I wasn't having any, any success convincing anyone to, to drop the competitive narratives. And so this is a systematic illustration of how the competitive narratives undermine specifically with um, uh Women will tend to make more predictions of harm, and we will be more harm averse. And so, those people who, who say loss aversion is a cognitive error, you know, we're, the evolutionary lesson is that when you have enough, you don't need more. Um, and if we're imposing these linear framed, um, uh, supposedly, this is what rational people do. Uh, this cognitive bias that's been defined as loss aversion makes it look like that's a mistake when in at least 50% of the the cases these people don't need anymore um, and diminishing their resistance to loss is not going to help them at all it's just going to make them borrow money they don't need and that sort of thing
0: mm, interesting what do you got Natalia?
2: no I was just listening <laughs> Um don't know what else to add, Annette. I mean, to such an insightful <laughs> way of describing. I mean, one of the things I think about competitive narratives is that they are based on illusion of control. So Bingo. if I do something, I get something. Mm-hmm. And if you have lived long enough. <laughs> You know that that's not the case. Yeah. And when they sell me something like every single, I mean, most of these narratives are based on that. And I find that that's um, very damaging.
1: Yeah. The theory of power um, has been that power is neutral, it's neither good nor bad. Um, and that's a competitive narrative because it depends on which side you're on, right? but but for collaborative narratives um there is a form of bad power and that is the kind of power that dominates and coerces um and uh, a lot of the people who hold collaborative um narratives is the power to protect and nurture
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so so the I, I am coming to the, the conclusion that there is bad power and that is that dominate and coerce. And that's very built into the competitive narratives.
0: That's reminds, I mean, we live, we, we've been living in a time for some time it seems that where we reward certainty and overconfidence about over things for which there is absolutely no certainty or confidence. I mean, the pandemic, as you just pointed to, is is an example. Like we all expected tomorrow to be another day just like today, because today was just like yesterday. And then one day we all woke up globally and found ourselves, um, you know, in a situation where there is nothing but uncertainty. Um, and what I'm hearing in, in your your urge to have us consider the collaborative narrative is how can you know how do we confront the or not confront how how do we how do we re-engage our curiosity and consideration our I sense think, of wonder.
1: I think there's security to be found in the idea of paradox, the idea that well, I have to take care of myself and I have to take care of others, and so what what. What we're doing is we're creating a comfort with the toggle back and forth that's more comfortable than the two fighting um, and and makes more sense just, you know, on, on the face of it. You can just feel that it's smarter to decrease fossil fuel use right now. I mean, it, we don't really need the statistics anymore. <laughs> we're, we're real clear about that. Um, and that's it's us narrating the both and stories mm-hmm. that build people's sense of confidence that that it is both and. It's sometimes you take care of you, sometimes we take care of the collective. Yeah,
2: and the other thing I wanted to to hear from you, Annette, is for me one sort of red signal is when I'm start hearing a stories based on fear and character, I mean, and building this otherness, me and the other, you know? That's what i am starting to think it's quite dangerous. I remember I read long time ago that, I mean, we we tend to think that human rights was a movement that was an intellectual movement, but it was partly based in Europe, at least, when romance uh, novels start to spread around Europe and people start to feel that they, could lo- fall in love, I mean, as the neighbor. So they started, I mean, empathy, start started to be something. And when empathy was something that started to spread around, then the intellect was ready to start talking about, I mean, yes. human rights and citizenship, that is starting and in, in, well, in,
0: in front of the first
2: short- world. But everything, but so this idea of fear and the other, I mean, as when stories try to put that emphasis on these elements, for me, that's dangerous.
1: And that's why conspiracy theories are, are so dangerous. What 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 they've learned is what we know as storytellers. If you make something um, visceral, smells, taste, touch, you know, anything that stimulates the imagination, um, it sticks faster. So all they're doing is coming up with blame stories that are so salacious um that that um people get off them I think they get titillated by you know the uh the stories about pedophilia and all that that's sort of conspiracy theories so it's a combination of blame and um titillation which is designed to keep you off the hard work that it, we will we must um, engage in if we're going to come up with solutions and so it's it's about how we narrate these collaborative values yeah. um, and and for me it's it's also about having faith that that in your own story in your own take on things. if you think that um, you know doing all this competitive stuff is is draining you of meaning, then, then you know, emotions, we have them for a reason, for an evolutionary reason. And what feels meaningful is actually what's going to help us survive. And yeah. trust
2: feels good. Yes. <laughs> it does, isn't it?
0: Well, and that kind of brings us back to where we began, which is, you know, to... to we're not going to win the battle of... Storytelling by continuing to engage in competitive narrative. I'm right, you are wrong, um, and here's all the logical reasons why. But where we begin, it, I, I think that change happens not because one person gets inside a bad system and and makes it better, but somebody builds a system right alongside the existing paradigm that is so undeniably better that sooner yeah. or later everybody just says the ship we're on is BS. We're going to, we're going to hop over here. And I'm wondering if the answer doesn't go back to, because I think different basing stories on differences is very simplistic and this, but the simple, simpler solution is where do we begin? Where's the common, where are the common values and, you know, trust, um, that Natalia was just pointing to, um, could be a starting point, but I'm, I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts about like how how do we how do we begin or where do we begin in terms of the the, the common threads, the common beliefs, the the, the common um, vision.
1: Well, my goal with this book is 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 one to point out that 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 using power in order to survive um, as a collective changes the agenda. Okay. Just, just you know look, we're going to be coming up with different conclusions at, at our budget meetings by necessity that so expect that you know. So um, uh, to be prepared for the discomfort I think is one of the ways that you help people move through the discomfort. Um, the, the other aspect is 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 giving them the experience of how meaningful it feels when you tell stories about collaboration and, and trust. And how it's, it's, it you certainty um, is isolating. Um, but embracing ambiguity is when you're staying in relation. And, and that means that you're coming up with solutions that you couldn't come up with by yourself. So making that feel more safe than putting your dukes up um, mm-hmm. and creating silos is um, and I think, I think that, that, you know people uh i think human behavior is starting to to show a backlash against all of this competitive reasoning um now the authoritarian author- authoritarians um you know dominance is is job number 1 and so um there will be times that that we have to defend collaborative narratives but in general i think it's our job to tell and to get people telling each other, which is Natalia is talking about, you know, the first, the first story you tell is something meaningful, or the first story you tell is, you know, um, what I offer to this group, and it feels good, it feels right, and it feels smart. Um, and for me, we have to talk to people through their physiology so that they can start experiencing. That this is possible, um, and that that the this way of life, um, our ancestors have, saw what was you know what could go wrong. They they named what could go wrong. <laughs> they gave us lessons about what to do about it, and so we need to start using story reasoning at least as much as we use these numerical criteria.
2: I was thinking, Annette, that. Um I know a bit about what you're writing and um, that we don't arrive to collaboration with rational thinking. Trust and collaboration is emotional. It's so, emotional. so it's when we start telling the stories and we serve that space and we put our defenses down, we are building bridges that enable that collaboration And too much rationality, too much statistics, it just brings up defenses and call necessarily for competitive narratives. So there will be times in which that's, I'm not saying, I mean, as a woman, irrational woman, just be irrational and emotional. not talking about that, but we're talking about the possibility to go from one place to another and combine them and to be ready to say, well, that's... This situation requires from me this thinking. That situation requires from me that the order.
1: My, my whole thing is that competitive narratives have have uh, hogged the term rational thinking for far too long. Collaborative narratives. There are lots of rational reasons. Why you know what I mean? But it's just um, it's been discredited um, for so long. We're, we've got a job to do to reclaim it
0: what the, the, the idea that, I, that that's popping in my head is our human beings began employing narrative and, and storytelling when the world their their existential their existence was in jeopardy when when we you know we were not the, the the fastest nor the biggest nor the strongest thing on the planet and most everything else was bigger stronger faster and wanted to eat us. We created narrative and language so that we could get together and face the unknown and lean into the uncertain um, and the- And capture wisdom. Well, and that journey itself was, was worth it. It wasn't about, we didn't set out to conquer the planet, it just so happened that, uh, along the way, that sort of happened until this virus came around and something so small we can't even see it decided actually you're not really in uh, as big and strong and as you think you are. So, I'm just wondering about just, just as we're beginning to wrap up here, this um, idea of narrative and storytelling and telling stories about collaborating together in pursuit of um leaning into and uncertainty but also stepping into possibility is uh you know a, a way forward and a way out of this competitive narrative where we can embrace the process trust the process which will enable us to trust ourselves which will allow us to come up with better processes as opposed to the certainty and overconfidence that we've been talking about in the competitive narrative
1: yeah i think the the um Our business decision making processes have changed radically over the last 20 years um, and and the rush to automate a lot of the things that have been automated are automated with a competitive bias. Um, uh, Win, lose, you know, putting employees in competition with each other. And so when we decide to use story reasoning, um, then that means that we need to share the stories. We need to understand the stories. There isn't a corporation out there that uh, if they didn't go to their um, uh, you know, first uh, response staff, wouldn't find out some incredible stories uh, that show the value of collaboration. And, um, uh, and they could learn from those stories and the rest of the company can learn from those stories. And so we're just looking at what it is we point people's eyes to what it is that we, we point their attention to. Um, and, um, and my experience is that, that once you get them to have the experience of sharing stories, all of a sudden they know it's not just,
0: um, you know, win lose. Mm. Love it. Well, so, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to wrap up this broadcast. Annette Simmons is uh, the the author of the Story Factor, and do you is is your new book have a, a decided upon? I
1: right now, what I'm calling the new book is uh, Drinking from a Different Well: How Women's Stories Change What Power Means in Action.
0: And that one is forthcoming. Yeah, uh, that October. In in October, and I. Th- I think, I think that, that you'll be back on the show to talk about that book when it's actually out in the world. So we're excited about that. You can learn more about Annette Simmons at AnnetteSimmons.com. And of course, Natalia, my friend and collaborator can be found at thestorythatmatters.com. And of course, it is always fantastic to see you at creativeonpurpose.com. Uh, ladies, thank you so much for a rich conversation about storytelling and the importance of uh, narrative and and. I'm going to stop being so competitive and uh, be a little (laughs) bit more collaborative. Thanks to you all. (laughs) Take care. You've already
1: got that covered. All right. (laughs) Bye, everybody.